you may have yourself selected, but not sure what that means, but uh, it yeah. started. So people can get right, in. So the started. This is what happens when it's live. Okay. So here's the beginning of what we should have played in the beginning of the show. Ready, Matt? Go for it. Statements either true or false. I gave you a statement and you said it doesn't apply. It's not true. It's not so a- only truth app statements would be either true or false. So is it true that I'm talking to you? Is it true? That is a true statement. I'm talking to you. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Is it true that babies exist? Um, well, I mean, how babies how exist? Down the babies uh, exist. Is, babies exist. Is that true or is it not the case that it's true? Uh, I, would, I mean, if you go down the, you know, if you want to be very strict about it, I would be uh, skeptical. Of it. Okay, we're done talking. This is Apologetics Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian Podcast Community. All right, Matt Slick from Karm.org. Yes, that is the intro we have for now, but we don't know if that's going to be the intro for good because we're going to be looking for, I think, a contest for intros. Because <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> you didn't like the first two that John came up with, but <laughs> no, we just need something simple. We don't need to get all this uh, fancy stuff. We just say, you know, hey, welcome to Match Look Live, blah 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 blah, or whatever it is, Apologetics Live, and we just start talking because I find that too, just because you can do something doesn't mean you ought to do something. <clears throat> That's right. <laughs> All right. So, Matt, before I, I know, um, folks, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, if you go to apologeticslive.com, from there you'll see the links where you can join in, ask questions of Matt, and um, and so that will be something you can do. Now, um, we do have at least one person in here now, and I think uh, I think this is the Scott who contacted me on Twitter. So we're going to get to him in a bit. Um, he wants to talk about social justice stuff with us. But, Matt, first, before we go, I, I, there's one thing I just, before we get started, you know, I, I had something I wanted to play. It's, it's a little bit longer. It's, it's like 10 minutes, but I think this, it's a good start for us. It'll get you in a good mood or not. You, you ready for this? All right. All right. So let, let's play this. So, John, what exactly happened this weekend, and how is it that you came up with this idea and plan? I knew <laughs> that you were going to be coming, I don't know, like six months or so, or whatever it was. And so I was a little looking forward to, to having you here. And it, it struck me like, you know, it would be really funny if I got, like, Matt Slick to do something for Andrew as far as the whole uh, buying you a, a, a meal. And because I know about that, that struggle that he has. And so... Um, so what I wanted to do, I, I contacted Matt Slick and I and I gave him the idea. I, I just kind of planted that little seed in his brain, thinking, "Hey, wouldn't it be great if you can show up? You know, while Andrew is here in Washington, you can like magically just show up here and surprise him and and pay for his meal. That would just be awesome." And he's like, "Oh, I wish I could. I would love to do that, but I got to take care of the wife, and you know, and I got other things to do, and I just won't be able to make it." Okay, okay. So I thought, okay. 
how about then? How about I, I go to the uh, the restaurant wherever we're at, and then uh, I'll give you a call, and then I'll hand the phone over to the, to the waitress or or to the cashier, and you can pay the meal right through the phone. And he loved the idea. He was like, "Oh yeah, that would be great." So then I passed that information over to Aaron, and Aaron was going to go ahead and set up the details when it came to that being. Okay, so so let's start with this right right off the bat. I'll stop this for a second here. So you and John had this plan, huh? You yep. guys thought you were going to get me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron's going to explain a little bit of what happened and why it was a fail. <laughs> that it was probably he had a better idea. You were going to still get me back one day. To to. So I will pass it off to. I concur with John that uh, this was many months in the planning. There was a lot of time and effort, text message, Facebook messaging that went into this. And um, we, I drove by the restaurant Thursday at 3.15. And I spoke with Daniel, the manager, who gave me his assurance that Clara, the hostess, the following night would be in full agreement with this plan. He said it sounded like a great thing. Uh, reviewing and assessing our efforts so far, it seemed that threaten you. He okay, would we're gonna, we're probably gonna and likely resort cause... to the maturity of a, of a five-year-old. I went through every effort. This was a... Now, now, would you actually believe that I would act like a, a five-year-old there, Matt, to try to prevent you from buying me lunch? You, you wouldn't possibly possibly believe that would you i have no idea what you're talking about at this point well would i would i argue with the hostess to to, i wasn't there so you gotta tell us but do you would you make i mean is it believable that i would argue like a five-year-old just to make sure you don't out slick me yes (laughs) so Essentially, because Aaron went on for about 10 minutes, so he's he's too long. So here's the thing. Uh, eventually, what happened was is I managed to get this beautiful bad boy for you, which is the bill that I paid for myself when I outslicked you yet again. Um, you're going to get me back one day, aren't you? It's going to happen. <laughs> yes, well, it is, and I'm going to have to eat a lot of crow, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm barbecued. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to add in, uh, Scott, let me, um, let me give you, uh, some, uh, the Twitter that Scott had, he, he tweeted and brought him in. So Scott had said, um, and, and Scott, you'll tell me if this is the same person I'm going to assume that you are, but, uh, it says, Andrew, uh, he said, I'm, I'm not, uh, I volunteer as a tribute. I'm not anyone special. That you can categ- you can categorize me as one of the woke millennials you mentioned on the podcast episode. And he's referring to the Rap Report podcast, um, and just listening in. Um, so he has some concerns with social justice. Now, where I thought this would be good, Matt, is because as I bring him in, you're you haven't been following all the stuff with social justice. So no. I I figured to be better to have him discuss with you concerns he has with social justice, you approach it from a biblical perspective and what the issues we'd see with it. And that way this could be something where you can, you know, maybe help Scott see where the biblical position would be. So Scott, welcome to the hangout. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. I want to make sure my, my headset is, my Bluetooth headset is coming through okay. Okay. You are coming through. 
Awesome. So, so what's your concerns with the social justice? And, and let's see if Matt can help you go, you know, work, work through this from a biblical perspective. Yeah. So uh, I guess the, uh, and I, I want to, I guess, start off by saying um, I appreciate the invite. I uh, honestly wasn't expecting uh, an invitation to a, a live conversation. I was more interested, uh, expecting maybe some more interaction on Twitter, but uh, I appreciate the the invite and the opportunity. Um, and uh, I guess just for your audience, in terms of my background, um, can you can you speak up a little bit? Yeah, how, how's this? Or Matt, what you can do is maybe you can go into the control room and just raise his volume up. Yeah, go ahead. Just keep talking. I'll take care of that while we're. So. Yeah, so Scott, so what, what's your issues with social justice? Why, you know, you, you obviously, you should, for yourself being woke, I want you to explain <laughs> to Matt what that is so that we can, you know, so he can interact with you on that. Sure, uh, and I, and I want to get to that, but I just want to let you, a little bit from a biographical standpoint and, and how I, w- I would prefer to approach the conversation, if that's okay. Um, I think that would just be helpful from a background standpoint. I'd, I'd rather not just be the random guy from Twitter, if that's okay. Um, so, so Matt, my, my name is Scott, um, and I have uh, actually am a Christian. Um, grew up in a Christian household, went to a Southern Baptist church, went to a Christian conservative reform Christian university, uh, still attend church, am heavily involved in church, uh, reformed theology, um, I uh, had a passion and was uh, made a hobby out of apologetics growing up as well. I uh, did a whole bunch of reading and studying and thinking through the arguments and all that uh, stuff. So when I say that I'm a, you know, a, a woke millennial, uh, that's that on in ref, uh, reference to Andrew's podcast, I was, you know, specifically to the context of some of what he was talking about, um, but it was in the context of he had just on that same conversation on Twitter said uh, that he was concerned that people were responding to him or were responding to the social justice statement, uh, but you know he he wanted them to go listen to his actual his actual podcast and and the some of the explanations that were being given, he was concerned that that wasn't happening. Instead, people were just kind of talking over each other. So it's really important to me uh, in this conversation to um, hear out as many sides as possible and uh, to, um, you know, give the other side their due. So I went and listened to the podcast and, and then I, that's when I made my comment. So uh, I do consider, I mean, technically you could label me as a quote woke millennial unquote uh, I don't mind defending that phrase um, but you probably are not uh, going to hear from me uh, or it, from a perception standpoint I'm not maybe what you might okay, see so like on the let, news yeah so just let's get to the discussion <laughs> yeah. so, so so I want you to define explain what you mean by woke millennial so so we, you guys can dialogue with that I think that's sure yeah. Well, I mean, again, woke millennial is the phrase that I heard on the podcast. Um, in terms of what do I have, what are the issues that I have with social justice? Uh, there has been, um, over the last four or five years, a significantly significant increase in the church, 
uh, and by the church, I'm I'm referring to my corner of the church, which is the more conservative, reformed, <clears throat> excuse me, Baptist, uh, broader evangelical circle um, about how does you know how do how does the church engage with social issues? Uh, and there's been a lot of pushback on the church adopting what is perceived as social justice issues or becoming social justice warriors. Uh, and my concern or, or my entrance into this conversation, therefore, is um, I think that there's probably a lot to be said about agreeing on terminology. Uh, but uh, as I understand it, I don't see there being a um, with with the way I see social justice being defined by some of these pastors and leaders in the church. Um, I don't see there to be a conflict with that and what I read in scripture. Uh, so I guess that's maybe a an opening line or an opening statement. Um, but again, uh, I'm happy to to go into any further detail in any one of those areas. If you if you have specific questions, I'm not used okay, to. Let, let, I'll try to cut to this here. What is it you think the church is doing wrong in like one sentence? So we can. I mean. <laughs> Um, I would say that the church uh, is not uh, is is too quickly hearing something that sounds to them like what secular movements are saying, uh, and is quickly rushing to uh, use that definition and understanding, um, and too quickly overlooking how people. Okay, well, let me let me jump in. Let me jump that. in. Let me just jump in. Um, yeah. Define what social justice is, just quickly. Uh, uh, a lot of definitions there. For me, um, I define I would define social justice as um, the parts of society that uh, are not that are that are not um, as optimal as they could be. Okay, you're not being specific. Not as optimal as that requires me to say. What does that mean? Um, sure. What is social justice? Um, you have to give me a one sentence definition. So, uh, try to narrow this down. For me personally, um, would I you say that it is something where the Christians are supposed to fix social um, problems that happened in the past, and they owe people recompense for problems past sins? Um. I wouldn't necessarily go that far, no. Uh, what do you uh, define it common, as? Again, I... Because I, I don't know what we're discussing what? here. Because you, you give me a lot of background information, but I have no idea what to do with it. And I need to know what you're talking about in order to discuss it. So what does it mean? So what do you think yeah. social justice is? Um, so let me... I think I, think I hear what you're, you're asking for. Let me, let me say this then. Um, I think that uh, as, the, as far as the church is concerned, um, there are issues inside of the church that I think that we need to address that are social justice related. Uh, I think that's related to the ways in which the church uh, has not lived up to the scripture in the past, speaking specifically about slavery, but I think that there are some other... Okay, I, you know what? I'm sorry, but I, I'm just waiting for you to define it. And I'm asking the same thing over and over again, and then you don't define it. And I'm not trying to be rude, but you're just talking. And so, I, I, what do you, I mean, I can come back in a half hour uh, when you're done talking about it and then ask you, what are you talking about? I mean, seriously, um, can you be more specific? Yes. 
Yes. What social is social justice? justice? Social justice is bringing justice to those areas of our communities and society that are not explicitly dealt with by law. Okay, so what about it? Uh, I would, I'm, I guess I'm confused. That's how I define it. Um, okay, okay, so you define it as something that, are you saying Christians need to be involved with fixing things in society? I absolutely believe that. What things should they fix? Give me two. Or give me one. Just, just I don't want to get into a long thing. What's one thing they need to fix in society? Respectfully, I, I believe that Christians should be involved in fixing as much as we can in society. Because I that's gotcha. what we're called Give to me nature. one thing so that we can focus on the one thing. I can talk about it because you say all kinds of things. Give me one. A specific um, something that I've been looking into recently is how, uh, in the when it comes to foster care, the foster care system, and deciding uh, how kids when when a child is taken away from their parents and put in the foster care system, uh, there are substantial okay, foster care. Uh, differences. Foster care. Sorry, what? Okay, so, uh, just foster care. So one of the issues that needs to be fixed is foster care. Uh, I, okay. As a category, so, there are relevant conversations there. Yeah. What are we? Why are we talking about this? I don't understand. Uh, do you have a question for me, or you want this as a platform to say stuff, or what? Let, I mean, let, what's going on? Let me give it this way. Let me ask it this. So, do you, being that you use the term woke, do you believe that Matt and I, and I guess you, being white, are racists? No. Okay, so that's the and, term. And may I may I actually say something about that specifically? So the, so the term "woke" means that we that people have woken up to the social justice that the church is is the the cause of racism that the. Um, well, he brought up the issue of uh, what was it? Uh, foster care. Foster care. Yeah. I, I I don't know what he's talking about. I mean. Yeah. Things should be better. He's saying things should be better in society. Uh, yeah, they should be. Okay, that's what I, all I had to say. After all this, was things need to be better in society. Yeah, I agree. Now what? So I would say things need to be better in society. I think everyone agrees with that. I hope everyone agrees with that. Um, well, you've taken think... fifteen minutes to get to that, or ten minutes. Um, are we going to continue? I'm a little, like, I'm a little bit uh, put off by a constant non-explanation of things that I have to wait. And I, I'm sorry, it's just difficult to even know what you're getting at. I have to extract it out of you. So you, you, so, you know, so you want me to maybe, say, you have a question yeah, for me. Yeah. So, so um, let me, let me come at this from a different way then. No, 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 no. I don't want you to come at it from a different way. If you have a question, just ask me the question and we can have a discussion. Because if you come in from a different way, I'll be waiting for another five minutes based on what you've already done. Just what's your okay. what, what is it? Um yeah, so let me let me come back with a question then. Uh what do you think, um based in, from scripture, what do you think is the Christian's obligation to uh like how how would you um teach the what obligation a Christian has to work for the good of their society, right? Obviously, we, we take care of 
You asked me the well, question, okay? Yeah, right. That's your question. That's the question. Let me answer the question. Okay. Um, what we need to do is preach the gospel and get people converted. We need to be praying that God would raise up people, godly people. We need to vote properly, and we need to voice uh, what needs to be voiced at the right time in unison against unrighteousness. And, but the gospel needs to be the thing that's going to save people. And that's what we need to do, change people in their hearts, which will change other issues. If we try and do moralism, moralism by saying, let's just change how adoption is done, how this is done, how that is, the externals, we're not going to win the battle. We're not going to win the battle. Cert okay. Certainly. And I, wouldn't, I, I would not disagree that the gospel needs to be central to any work that is done. Um, I would then follow up with another question. When you say we need to vote as the number two item on the list, uh, how should a Christian vote according to Scripture? We should vote according to Scripture. Certainly. Uh, I would say that there are, there are arguments that could be made that Christians shouldn't, that because democratic forms of government are not found in the Bible, uh, then, then we really don't have an obligation to vote. How about that? Uh, where is there an obligation to vote that we find in Scripture? Um. <laughs> okay, I, I'm really frustrated with you, yeah. and uh, I, 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 I am. I'm not, I don't feel like we're getting anywhere. You keep asking me one well, question. You know, uh, you know, I can go to Romans 13 and say, be subject to the government. We're set up the system that we are right now, so what we do is we vote. This is simple stuff. Yeah. So there, There's you know, not something in Scripture that's going to talk about an, a, a system of government that never existed before that time. You didn't, you didn't have people getting that, that the American voting uh, system Right, right, but that's so, but that's precisely. I, I asked the re, I asked the question for a reason. The reason I asked the question is because we don't have American representative forms of government found in Scripture. We have to apply Scripture as best as possible to the society that we live in. The concern that I have with social justice is that there is a theme of social justice in the broader secular world, which is. Uh, we need to use the government to fix all of the problems that we've caused for ourselves in the past. I do not agree with that. However, when I see uh, prominent Christian leaders, even whole churches, say, uh, we think that um, certain issues are important that may not... Um, uh, may not match up perfectly to a certain... Uh, political party or may require may involve some form of law. Hey, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, we're just moving on. You're yeah. just taking thinking ever. I'm really frustrated listening to you, and we're not having a discussion. I think you want your own show to be able to teach this stuff. No, I just, think, I think so let's just move on. Let's just move on. Yeah, uh, Andrew, on. Andrew, Andrew, okay. I have a question. Okay, last question. No, he's gone. No. Okay. Oh, okay. I guess. <laughs> Okay, because the same thing is going on and on and on. Uh, it's been 15 minutes at least listening to him just go on. He's not saying anything, and uh, I'm just wasting. I'm just sitting here yeah. waiting time, wasting time. Just, what, what's the point? There's no point. Let's think, move on to somebody else. Yeah, I mean, the thing, the thing with what woke means and all this, it's, it's, there is an issue within the church where people are saying that the church is not doing enough and you're hearing it from him matt actually because what was he talking about politics you answered the question the gospel is the solution 
Um, I answered him, and then we, what I'm finding is, you know, I try not to be rude. I try to be as patient as possible, but it became, well, I'd just say aggravating. I ask a question. He, he, he doesn't sim- simply answer a question. He goes on and pontificates for a long period of time. Well, what's the question? Well, let me get to this. I'll tackle it a different way. You know, he yeah. needs his own show where he can just pontificate well, and everybody wants to talk to him. Let's just move along. See if anybody else has anything yeah. they want to so we, I added, uh, And I probably am not going to pronounce his name right. It, it looks Russian, <laughs> maybe. But, but Mikhail, I, if you want to unmute yourself. And then you can tell me how, I, how much I butchered your name. <laughs> so maybe I can't. Oh, there you go. Hi. No, you haven't butchered it. It's Mikhail. Mikhail. Where's it from? <coughs> it's Russian. It is? Okay. So I, I guessed right, but pronounced wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you're behind a veil there or something in the video. <laughs> I, so, I am in a semi-truck. You're in a semi-truck. Okay. Well, don't drive off the road. Don't... <laughs> I hope you're pulled. I'm I'm parked. You got any? You got a question for Matt? Anything? Any? Any apologetical questions or or things that you would like him to answer? Hmm. There's been a question that I've been thinking about years ago, but I think I found the answer. Maybe I'll ask him. Maybe he'll bring some clarification, like more clarification. What is it in the essence, in the texture of blood, that makes it appropriate for the atonement of sin? The life is in the blood. That's Acts 17, uh, 11, 17, 14. And so God has declared the life is in the blood. And what he's talking about is the essence of what the blood represents. When the blood drains out, you die. And since the wages of sin is death, death is a phys- is a spiritual thing, separation from God. The manifestation of that is in a physical sense as well, which is declared by God in Genesis 2.17. So the blood represents that aspect of the life. And so it became a symbol, metaphor for the essence of what a person is. And this is why it says we're, we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. Physical blood doesn't have any act ability to cleanse. It's just blood. But what is what we have to understand is that the blood of Christ is something different. The blood of Christ is the blood, that life aspect of who Christ is, represented by that blood and the shedding of blood, which is said to cleanse us of our sins, when it's actually what God does through our faith that he grants to us in justification by which we are then made right before God. That blood is that representative of the life of God on the cross who died to give us the, the forgiveness of our sins. That help? Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought. Basically, it's life. Yeah, and you can go to Leviticus seventeen fourteen. For the life is in the blood, and for this reason, the sacrifice is given because they, he equates it like that. And that's what just God, what God does. And it's like uh, not Acts seventeen eleven. Hope I didn't say that. It's Leviticus seventeen eleven, <clears throat> seventeen fourteen. I got all these verses in my head that are similar. Acts seventeen eleven is one thing. The Bereans are more mobile minded. What I'm talking about is Leviticus seventeen fourteen. <sighs> <laughs> There's also Leviticus 17.11, but that's another one. So, it help? Yes, it did. Okay. <laughs> right, good. All right, so I, I, I brought... Uh, you have any other questions? Michael? Say it again. Michael. Michael. Do you have any other questions? <laughs> any other questions? I've been thinking about the Trinity. Is tri-personality of God 
necessary? I mean, is there a possible world where God can find no. himself not being a trinity? And if no. not, is it a logical contradiction for God not to be tripersonal? God can only express his own nature and his essence, and that's what he's done. He's revealed himself for what he is as a trinity. There's no other possibility. That is what God is. It's not possible for another universe to be where God wouldn't be a trinity, because God is a trinity. He revealed it to us, and that's it. That's, that's his nature. That's his essence. So he is trinity necessarily? He is a trinity by nature. Not necessarily as if he's obligated to be one. It's that he just is trinitarian in his essence. Which yeah, is I how he that. is. I, I get that. I just want to dig deeply philosophically and logically. Logically, without the Trinity, we really can't be saved. We have to have the one who is offended be the one who pays for the forgiveness of our sins, and that's another topic. But what we see is that God is unchangeable. Malachi 3.6, from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Psalm 90, verse 2. So he is immu it's called immutability, that his essence and his nature does not change. This is who he is. You go to Hebrews 9.22 for that. That's what he is. So, since he has revealed his nature and his essence to us in the Bible, in the, what we call the Trinity, then we can only say that's just what he is, that's what he's revealed himself as, as being. And it, it's not a necessity of him being uh, Trinitarian, it's a revelation of him being Trinitarian. Nothing obligates him to be Trinitarian, other than, we could say, other than just, that's what he is. It just is that. Okay? Make sense? Not really. <laughs> God is well, holy, I, I, right? God right, is holy. I, I, I understand the necessity of God. God is a necessary being. Right. But his attribute of tri-personality, how can that be also necessary? Because that's part of what he is. Well, we want to say tri-persons, just say person, three persons. Um, but that's just because that's just what he is. All right. He just is that. There's God. I get, I get and he that. reveals he reveals that he's a trinity. We go, oh, that's what you are. Okay, good. Well, why is he that? It's yes, not an why? issue of why is he. Because that's what he is. He is that because that's what he is. We can't say why he is that. Because that would mean what brought him into origin if it was that case, which didn't happen. Why is he like this? Is there some rule? No, there's some rule. No, it's just, it's just what he is. And he revealed himself to us as what he is in a Trinitarian sense. Similar That's all we can just say. Why, That's it. Yeah. Why, why is God love? Yeah, why, why is God love? Because he is. And there is nothing right, because he is. Because he is. Yeah, I guess no, that's the stopping he, point. He just is. Right. There's no why okay. to it. It's just, that's just what he is. Well, Adam, curious. I know you, you basically have like so much of the Bible memorized in your head. Here's one I don't know if you know. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Are you familiar with that one? Deuteronomy. He's going to see. I, I got at least one verse I've memorized that the bad. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine is perfect for this. The secret things belong unto the Lord, but that which He has revealed to us. Um. And, now I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it right. Uh, the secret things belong uh, to the Lord, uh, our God, but the, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children um, forever that we may do all the words of the law. So basically, there's going to be some things we're never going to know. 
So we, we heard the voice of Mr. John. So welcome, John. You, you have a question or do you want to just apologize to Matt for... Let's, let's just go into discussing <laughs> apologetics, seriously, because that's what we're, I'm, I'm all geared to do apologetics, and otherwise we're off topic for a long time, and it's going to wait till we're done. Let's John, just do, do apologetics. That's what, that's what I've been looking forward to, answering questions, and let's just do that. I'll get John later. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm going to add in, now, Matt, I don't know quite how this one's going to go. Um, okay, one that calls himself anonymous guy. Okay. And he says that he is a traditional Catholic that, so I'm going to let him ask you his question. So sure. I don't see him on camera. Looks like his camera is covered, but anonymous guy, can you, you're not muted. <laughs> I guess he is anonymous. I mean, we see, <laughs> Right now, am I coming in loud and clear? Yeah, we hear you. We hear you. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't know why it is, but when I whenever I plug in my my earphones, it it seems to prohibit me from um, getting through. Okay, uh, okay, yeah. With regards to um, baptism, uh, Matt Slick, you gave the context of what you believe. Uh, One Peter three twenty uh, three eighteen through. Uh, 22 says and i don't i don't necessarily disagree with you i actually agree with what you said okay. and there's numerous there's numerous protestants and 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 even within catholicism there's different theologians and and so forth that mm -hmm. have given different interpretations of what baptism now saves you refers to and some of them agree with you in catholicism they agree with you and some of them will say it's not the ark, it's the water. And some of them will say that it's referring to verse 18, Jesus Christ himself. And some will say it refers to verse 22, his resurrection. So, and then there's some that says, you know, there's a combination of those where it might be referring to two of them, might be referring to all of them. But I like your explanation about the ark, because you said that it was a prefigurement of Jesus Christ. You connected it to Jesus Christ in the New Covenant and his sacrifice for our sins. Amazingly, that's what many Catholic theologians have said as well. Good. So, therefore, baptism now saves you by your own admission is connected to Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Therefore, don't, don't go that far. You're, you're making too much of a leap at that point. Ultimately, that would be the case, but the context of First Peter three twenty one is antitupon, and according to that, or in an antitype of that, baptism now saves you. So, what is he referring to? What's the antecedent? Well, if it's the ark, you just saying corresponding to the issue of faith in the ark, they entered by faith, baptism saves you, not the removal of dirt in the flesh. So he's talking about it's not a water issue. Uh, it seems to be a faith issue. That's what's kind of baptism. That seems to be what's going on. And I, I absolutely I agree with what you're saying, 100% with what you're saying. It's a Good. faith issue, but it's not a faith issue under the uh, Old Testament, what we have under the Old Testament. It's a faith issue under the New Covenant. So therefore, in, in Catholicism, for example, 
It's not a valid baptism unless one has the faith. You do not receive the justification thereto from the water baptism unless you have the faith. So therefore, what happens is, what's happening is, it's that the uh, salvation, you said yourself, is connected to, to the ark, but you said it was a prefigurement to Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the mm-hmm. cross. So therefore, when we look at verse 18 all the way through 22, it starts off with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And, and then it ends with Jesus' resurrection in verse 22. And so, whether you say it's connected to the ark, or some say it's about the water, or some say it's specifically about verse 18, Jesus' sacrifice, no matter which one you point to, it always comes back to the saving grace of the new covenant because Jesus, because Peter's so water baptism question? is not water baptism under the old covenant. It's under what the is, new covenant. So what's your, what's your point or question? Okay. Well, it's not really a question. It's a statement. I'm, I'm agreeing with you because you're, you said you connected the art. Why are you still a Catholic? Because you pointed out the Catholic view. You pointed out the Catholic view, which well, is the, that the Catholic Church believes in the Trinity. I do sacrifice. I believe in the Trinity, and the Catholic Church does too. It does a very good job of defending the doctrine of the Trinity. It doesn't mean the Catholic Church is true or that you should belong to it. So I don't know. What, so what you, you want to say something specific about baptism or, or what? What do you want to say? Well, I mean, because because of what you've said, it, the question goes back to you. Why are you a Calvinist? Because uh, the Calvinists don't accept Calvinist. water baptism. So I'm predestined to be a well, Calvinist. Why? Yeah, well, from my understanding, they don't accept water baptism. A justification through water baptism, they, they don't believe that justification occurs through water baptism, correct? <laughs> Yeah, and neither do I, and so you've misrepresented my position. And what you've done, I've listened, is you've tried to make me get to say something I haven't said, which tells me that, uh, how do I say this politely? Because it's going to sound so mean. I just don't think you've been very uh, sincere, and that's not the right word. Yeah, um, Logically consistent, that's a better way to put it, uh, in your application of what you think I believe, and trying to carry it to a conclusion to try and get me to contradict what uh, I believe in other areas. And you just gone through and not connected the dots. Uh, the issue here in First uh, Peter two three twenty one is that water baptism is not the thing that makes you right with God. When Peter says baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, that's the issue of the water. But he says corresponding to that. Now you know some scholars say that what is referred to, the corresponding to, the antecedent of that is the water. Some say that, and some say it's the ark. I don't believe it's the water. I believe it's the ark. And that's just what I hold to. And that was by faith alone they entered. They entered by faith. I mean, consistent with what I believe. So what's the big deal? Well, okay, you said faith alone. And I don't necessarily disagree with that either because – yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that either because in Catholicism, water baptism is not a work of ourselves. It's a work done by Jesus Christ. It's something that he did on the cross. That's what they can say, but uh, just saying it doesn't make any difference. Look, let me ask you, can you define for me what a ceremony is? I mean, seriously. Well, it's, it's a participation in, uh, well, when you mean ceremony, I would guess that, are you speaking about uh, rituals with regards to Catholicism? Okay, no, I just said define ceremony. 
Okay, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, a formal religious or public occasion, typically one celebrating a particular event or anniversary. Uh, the ritual observances and procedures performed at grand and formal occasions. Uh, let's so go. What are you reading down. from? What is it that you're reading, reading from? I just read the dictionaries on, on, online. I just went to it. Here's vocabulary.com. A formal event performed on a special occasion, an activity that is performed on a special solemn uh, elaborate or formal way i could go to let's see we got to know where our terms are because you'll see why in a minute dictionary.com the formal activities conducted on some solemn or important public or state occasion a formal religious or sac sacred observance um formal observances so let me ask you would you say circumcision is a ceremony um i i wouldn't know about that um is I mean, communion a ceremony? It's, it's yeah, something I, I, God yeah. commanded, but I does don't know God, if he ever described it as a ceremony. I have God, no idea. Does God command us to perform ceremonies like um, participating in the uh, Last Supper? Well, I, I would certainly think that uh, he does uh, command us, If, for example, marriage, that's a ceremony. Okay. Um, I wouldn't think that two people could simply say we're married just like that and they're married. That wouldn't yeah, be, I agree. you know... What, I agree. You know, a so, formal ceremony. So a ceremony, we would say, is something that is done in space and time, right? It, I mean, a ceremony has to occur, right? We go to a funeral, and yeah, there's a ceremony right. we go through, a marriage. I've done funerals. I've done marriages. I a ceremony or something. Act, some of which needs to be public. Good. For example, marriage. I would think that would need to be something that's, okay. you know, okay. public. Is um, baptism a, a ceremony? Well, I would think that it's a, it's a, if you could say that it's a ceremony in the okay, sense so, that it can be public and so it's a ceremony. it could be a formal occasion. Okay. Uh, but so I wouldn't a, say that it, it would necessarily have to be public in that sense. I mean, somebody could get water baptized without anybody else knowing about it. So it's a ceremony, something that occurs in space and time. That's a religious event that is done and repeated. Yes. Okay. So then you're saying that no, we're saved. No, yeah, no, 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 no. Of course it's repeated. Yeah, there's one baptism. Ephesians 4, 5, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. But let me finish. It's one, it's repeated because the same ceremony occurs over and over and over again with different people throughout the centuries. Yes. Okay. So you're, are you saying then, I'm just asking, are you saying we're saved by faith and a ceremony? I'm saying that we're saved by both faith and participating in a, a ceremony, if you want to call it that. Okay. All right. A, okay. A, Can you be because then? Peter himself? Because Peter himself, and let me explain why. Because Peter himself said to the those who had faith, they were believers. So one could say they had faith. They were believers, but he said he called on those that already were believers to get water baptized to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which means that they did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit simply by believing, simply by holding the faith. They needed to get water baptized in order to have that indwelling. And you can't find anywhere in Scripture where it says a believer had the indwelling of, of the Holy Spirit prior to baptism. You can say they had the Holy Spirit of the gifts when it says they received the Holy Spirit because they were speaking in tongues and they, they had the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But they never had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, I mean, why else would Peter say that? Explain why Peter would say that. 
So while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message, and all the uncircumcised believers who were with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Speaking in tongues and exalting God are charismatic gifts given to the Christians in the church. Correct? Right. So it's speaking. No, it doesn't say Christians Hold on a sec. Hold on. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say Christians in the Look. church with regards to those prior to water baptism. It doesn't refer to them as Christians. Uh, are they Christians if they're speaking in tongues and, and glorifying God, or are they unbelievers? No, they're not Christians until they receive water baptism. Then they're in, okay, then they're so Christian to the church. So you're At saying, that point, you're they're saying, Christians. So then you're you're saying they're not even Christian. They're not even saved until they get uh, baptized in water. Correct, because when we look at what then, Peter said, hold on, he hold said, on, hold on. No, he said stop, 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 stop. So no, then what no, you're saying no, is, you if you keep doing that, you, uh, you gotta let I'm, asking, I'm asking simple questions. I don't need explanations 18 times. So I'm just working with you. So you're saying then we're not justified by faith. We're justified by faith in a, in a ceremony. That's what you're saying. Oh, Matt, you got to unmute him now. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I did. Oh. No, I muted him. Okay, where is he? He's anonymous. The one uh, I, I, I muted. Or he hold can on. What? Okay, anonymous guy, you can unmute yourself. But you know, if you if you're gonna speak over Matt constantly, yeah, and, and and give long explanations when he's trying to he's trying to have a dialogue with you and he's trying to gather information so that he can answer the questions. But you okay, there you gotta, go. What? Let him do that. Okay, hold on. Okay, I think I got it now. Sorry, you there? Okay, can you hear me? Are you yeah, able yeah. to hear me? Yeah, yeah, that was just okay. I, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a lag on my on my uh, pad. So, okay. uh, but okay. when you do ask me a question, I am trying to explain to you. So you're kind of cutting me off every time I'm trying to answer your question. But what you're doing is giving me a lengthy explanation each and every time. You don't need to. If I say, if it's a yes or no question, just say yes or no. You believe that you have to be justified before God by faith in a ceremony. That's what you're saying. You say, well, Peter says, we already went over what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.21. Okay? But what, I'm just trying to get to the point. What you're saying is that a, a ceremony is what's necessary along with faith in order to be saved. You're saying you can't be saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That means you're saying Correct. people go to hell. Okay. Well, you don't believe the Bible. Okay. Well, you know, well, that means you're, you're not saved. You're you have a false gospel. Does your faith through faith alone? Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Well, then show me a verse in the Bible where it has the words faith alone together. There's only one place. I tell you what, anonymous. I tell you what, I tell you what, I tell you what, I tell you what, I tell you what. Show me a verse in the Bible that says the Trinity is one God and three distinct simultaneous persons. Go ahead. Show me that. Well, I mean, you're claiming that the Bible says Excuse that me. we're saved. Excuse me, I asked you a question. Show me that. I'm applying the same principle that you're demanding of me to you. What I'm trying to show you is that what you're demanding is unreasonable. I'm trying to demonstrate that to you. You affirm the Trinity, but the reason you affirm the Trinity is because it's arrived at systematically. And if I were to say to you, show me the exact words, obviously that's not the right question, is it? If you were to say, and I know that Catholics do this on purpose, construct a certain sentence, it has to be a certain way, when it does not accurately represent the issue at hand, then I know you're being uh, problematic and not logical. See, here's the thing. This is what the Bible says. I'm going to read you Romans 4, 1 through 5. 
What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Would you agree that what Paul is talking about in Romans 4 is justification before God so far? Well, I, I, I don't know why you're pointing to Abraham. Abraham didn't live under the new covenant. Therefore, he wouldn't have received the justification under the new covenant whereby he could be saved. So therefore, it would not have been justification before God for anything he did. At least not justification so, unto salvation. So, so when it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about before, but not before God. Are we talking about justification before God? Well, if we're talking about justification under the new covenant, it wouldn't apply to anybody under the old covenant. Are we talking it about justification? New covenant. Okay, is the text talking about justification before God? It's not talking about the justification of the new covenant. Therefore, it's irrelevant. Okay, um, is it talking about justification before God? Look in the text. Is verse 2 of Romans 4 talking about justification before God? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. His justification is not before God. Is the text talking about justification before God? Well, if it's saying that he was not justified before God, then that would be true. He was not justified right. before so God. The answer is, yes, it's talking about justification before God. Great. The next verse says this. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the next verse, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. Notice what he says here. Notice that that was in the present tense. Notice that this is in the present tense, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Is that present tense? That's present tense. It's okay. present tense so, with regard to that time period. Not the, not the time period prior to the uh, New Covenant, but the time period in which uh, Paul was speaking. Is Paul speaking in the New Covenant? He's speaking about those that were performing works under the Old Covenant, and also Is those that were performing works. The New Covenant now, but to the one who does not work, but believes. All present tense. Is it under the New Covenant he's talking? No, he's speaking, he's referring, because he was speaking against the Judaizers. In context, okay. he was speaking against so, the Judaizers. So, so when it says, they were going around. Okay, stop, stop, stop. So what it says here is, but to the one who does not work. That's not talking about present Christians at the time. And one who does not work, but believes. That's not talking about the, the Christians at the time, the people at the time. Well, as you know, that the Judaizers were going around preaching to okay. the Christians at I'm that time, telling question. them that they had to perform the Old Covenant works. I'm asking you a question. We'll get to Judaizers later. And I'm, Look what it says here in Romans 4. The Judaizers are in Galatians 3 and 5. This is Romans. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Is he speaking the te present tense of the Christians there? He's speaking in present tense to the Christians there because they were believing yes. that what the Judaizers were saying was that okay. they needed to continue in the Old Covenant works. He was speaking against me. that, Excuse saying me. that those Old Covenant works. Excuse me. 
excuse me. So the answer is yes. He was speaking to the Christians there. So he was speaking to the Christians there. Now, yes. In verse five, there are only two things discussed: belief and works. Right. I mean, the things that we do and involved with us, belief and works. Right. Correct. But the one who does not work. Okay, good. So when you only have two things and you remove one, the other one's by itself, right? Okay, yes, correct. So if works are not involved, then it's faith alone, right? Well, if you t if that was the only thing that was contained in the Bible, I would agree with you, but that's not the only thing right that's here, contained in the Bible. In this Bible, verse right here, in this verse right here, in this verse right here, is it faith alone? It is not faith alone because we have to take that in context with the rest you of the scripture and the rest you of said, You just said we have two things in verse five. We have two things. We have works. We have faith. When you said there were two things, when one of them's removed, the other one's by itself. You said yes. So you contradict yourself because this means faith alone. No, it's because he never you. said that you're saved by faith alone. He never yeah. said that you're saved. Yeah, he does. You're saved by your belief alone. He yeah, never he says the word only or alone. Oh, where's the word Trinity in the Bible? Can you show me that again? I mean, I'd like to see that because it has to say the word Trinity for me to believe it. Go ahead. Well, well again, you're the one that's making the claim that he said that it's a only or alone, but it's not there. So let me ask you. Let me you're ask making, you. Are you. Are you saved right now? Your sins uh, forgiven right now? Well, I repented of my sin and I went to confession. So, yes, my sins are forgiven. So, right, this, no second, right this second, you're in a state of perfection as far as the law goes. Well, I certainly hope so. Okay, you either I are or you're not. I, but I hope the Lord puts me there. Okay, so you sin regularly, right? Well, I don't sin regularly. Absolutely not. Maybe you do, but I, I strive not no, to I sin, sin regularly. All the time. I mean, I, are you regularly? kidding? Oh, yeah, I, I blow it all the time. Um, but uh, look, so. Well, I thought. Let me ask you a question. I thought they grow in faith when they're regenerated and they let don't continually. Engage in let, sin. Let me ask you a question. Uh, but roughly, uh, you uh, roughly, how long has it been since you sinned? Just, just curious. Just a day, two days, a week, month, year, what? I mean, just you know, roughly. I can't remember. I, I don't sin very often, so I, I can't remember. Maybe okay, you sin me, every day. I, I don't know, but rough, I don't sin every just, day. Just give me a rough thing. Just, just I mean, like, you know, just well, a I rough time. Like I said, I can't remember. Okay, I'll assign you a value since you don't even know your own self, which you say you don't sin anymore, and you go to confession last week. So that must mean that you have sinned within, I'd say, about a week ago. Right? Yeah, but I, even though I might okay. have gone to confession a week so, ago, it doesn't mean I committed the sins recently. I could have committed the sins 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Okay, so let's just, you want to say you didn't have sinned for a year? I don't know. I have no idea. I let's can't go remember. for a year because oh, you can't remember that far back. Let's just use a year. So let me just say then that what you're telling us is you keep the law of God to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your body, and your neighbor as yourself. You're keeping it on the same level as Jesus himself. No, I never said that. Yes, you well, did. Don't you don't sin anymore. I never said is Jesus the standard of righteousness or are you? Did I say I never sin anymore? Is Did you Jesus the standard of righteousness, or are you? I would say that Jesus is the standard, right. and that we should so would you agree strive to follow that if in Jesus, Jesus 
if Jesus is the standard of righteousness, would you agree that it has to be with absolute perfection and purity of heart, mind, and intention that you've got to keep these commandments to love God and love your neighbor? Would you agree that that is the case? Well, I would agree with the Bible where it says that if you sin, then you need to repent of your sins. Okay, That's I didn't what ask I would that. agree with. I didn't and, ask and that. Therefore, I asked you a different question. I... So you're having difficulty. You're having difficulty well, because I know where the weakness is in your position. I'm just uncovering it for everybody to hear. You're listening to you represent Catholicism. You're the one telling us that basically you haven't sinned in a long time. You didn't seem to object at the idea it has it, a year. So that means then that you're keeping the law. Now, the Bible says in it says in Deuteronomy 27, 26, that you're to keep the law perfectly. Paul quotes that in Galatians 3.10, that the standard of the law is perfection. Now, Jesus summarized all of the law, and he quoted it in the New Testament as being obligatory. That is to love God and love your neighbor. And that's in Matthew 22, 36 and, uh, 37 and 39, respectively, out of Deuteronomy 6, uh, 5 and Leviticus 19.18. So this love God and love your neighbor is a standard. Now, you said, and I agree with you, Jesus is a standard. Jesus did it perfectly. So you have to t be telling me, though, then, that for a year, you've kept the law as perfectly as Jesus did. You're amazing. You're wonderful. You're incredible, arrogant, deceived, and on your way to hell, you fool for thinking that you don't sin anymore. What a lie. And you know how come I know it's a lie? Because of the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. You can actually tell me that you keep the law on the same level as Jesus for a year and you don't sin and you're perfect in your intentions, your thoughts, your motives. What incredible self-righteous arrogance you're just swimming and drowning in and you don't even know it. You're lost. Okay, well, you made several insinuations that I haven't claimed. I never said that I don't sin anymore. I did. Okay, look, dude, I said for a year, and for a year, you've kept the law as good and as well as Jesus himself, because that's the standard. I never said that I haven't sinned for a year. You said that. I asked you. You didn't have any objections for that. I'm trying to see if it was one day. One day that you say you haven't sinned. It doesn't matter. One day. You're keeping the law of God as perfectly as Jesus for a whole day, per perfect in your intentions, perfect in your holiness before God, in the intention of everything you are, on the same level of Jesus, because he's the only one who never sinned. That's the standard. So are you saying that you're so keeping you the law as well as Jesus? Okay, well, I, I mean, you're still putting words in my mouth. I, are you I saying don't know that? Why you keep doing because Honestly, you're a fool. You're a fool. That's why. Because you believe a lie from the devil. You believe that your salvation depends in part on your ability to keep the law. And you're, you have the arrogance to tell us here that what's happening that's, is for a whole day even. You don't even sin. You keep the law of that perfectly on the same level as Jesus himself because that's the standard. Christ, you can't even see your incredible self-deception. Okay, You're well, let me ask that. you this question. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever gone any time without sinning? I don't know. Okay, hold, hold on. Let's let's not distract from the point because you're you're doing this again. You've done this. I, I've counted about five times where you keep changing topics. So I'll, I'll ask. I'll answer the question. I don't mind. Yeah, I'll, I'll the thing is, is that the issue and in, in represent what Matt was trying to ask you very simple questions. 
on how long it's been since you sinned. He he said a year because you couldn't remember. If you wanted to go more than that, the time's not the issue. The question is, are you keeping the law? That's the question. Perfectly. Perfectly. In your heart, your soul, your mind, your intention. And it perfectly means on the same level as Jesus himself. Otherwise, it's not perfect. This is who you claim to be. Okay, may I answer? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, at this point in time, I'm keeping the law. And I'd like to ask you this question, Matt, since you brought up time. Uh, is there any period of time whereby you did keep the law? Perfectly? Perfectly. I don't know. I doubt it. So there hasn't been one minute of your life that you kept the law? Probably, probably when God saved you. I mean, I'd say at that point, man, right? When God, when God, I mean, there was going to be times like that where for split seconds. I don't know. So you don't know whether you kept for just one minute with gone without sinning for just one minute of your lifetime. Let me clarify, as I've stated, I do not know if I have kept the law of God perfectly in that every intention and every part of everything that I am, according to the standard of Jesus himself, that I c cannot say that I've done that on the same level as God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, I, I'm not saying you have to do it on the same level as God. That's what the standard is. I've already, that say that you... I've already established that's the standard. And you right, rightfully said Jesus is the standard. You said that, and I totally right. agree. And so that is a standard, right? Jesus is a standard, God in flesh. And and he calls on us to follow in his footsteps, so therefore it's yeah. possible for us to follow in his footsteps. So you're admitting that you have not, you don't believe you've ever gone at least one minute in your lifetime without sinning. I said, I don't know. If I have... I don't know what it is, and I don't know when it is. The only possible time it might have maybe occurred when I was in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in such power that the only thing I could do was keep my face to the ground and weep out my bitter regret of my incredible sinfulness before the presence of incredible holiness. Maybe then, for that time, in the presence of his Shekinah glory, I wasn't sinning, but even then, I don't know, because I know okay. that God is the infinitely holy one, and I am not, and I am never going to say, hey, Jesus, guess what? I didn't sin for a whole minute. I kept the law on the level of you yourself. Look at me. Never going to happen. So then if we go by your logic, if we go by your logic, Matt, in that short period of time that you said you didn't sin. I didn't say I didn't. That Why don't you listen? Why don't you listen? I never said I did not. I said, I don't even know if I, even then is what I said. I don't even know because I am the biggest sinner I know. Look, right behind me is a couch. One day I was praying on that couch. I bent over on my knees, you know, praying, not trying to be humble, modest, or boasting, you know, whatever. And I prayed for a long time, and I'm confessing every single thing I can possibly think of. Even my desire to manipulate God, if I pray this way, do I get what I want? You know, the stupidity of my own sin. And I prayed and I prayed till I couldn't even think of anything else to confess. And then I said, Lord, I thank you that you didn't make me like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, that I know you. I actually said that. Well, that's out of Luke 18, 9 through 14, where the Pharisee, the self-righteous Pharisee said, thank you, Lord, you didn't make me like that tax gatherer over there. 
Even in the depths of my humility where I thought I was fine, there was sin. Now, I don't know about you if you've been in the presence of God. I don't believe you have. And I'm, I'm not trying to say you haven't, but I don't believe you haven't. Believe you ever have. Because you talk about your own sinless per perfectionism, your own ability to keep the law, your desire to be faith and works that in a ceremony that you keep to honor God in order by which you can then be justified. Does God tell this us is, to keep the law? Yeah, of course he does. He says don't sin anymore. Is it his will that we keep the law? Of course it is. So are those, or is, is it possible for someone to inherit the kingdom of God if they do not do God's will? depends on what you mean by God's will. If the will of God is that you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, then yes. If the will of God is you got to keep all the priesthood requirements, then no. So you're not specific enough. you got to be careful when you ask questions like that. So you can go against the will of God then. I mean, you just I, said I that do. it is the will of God that we keep the law, that we keep I do. his commandments. And now you're I, saying that we don't have to keep that particular I, Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not justified by the law. Romans 3.28, we maintain that a man is justified apart from the works of the law. That's old covenant. That's old co covenant That's laws. That's what it's Paul said. In, he said that. In, love for God and love for neighbor. He said that in Romans 3.28, it's to the church, to the Romans, to the Christians. Right, because they, the Judaizers were trying to uh, propagandize wow. the Christians. Look. You know that. That's the context of it. No, it's not. He's speaking he's against talking to the, the Romans. Judaizers. He's talking to the Romans. And look, let me tell right. you something. He's speaking to the Romans because the Judaizers are going amongst the Romans. No. And they were trying to okay, hold on. operate that. Hold on. Let me work with you. you practice old covenant laws. Look, do, do, when you say that, it's just simply the old covenant. That's what you're saying, right? I didn't did say just know? old covenant. Okay. I didn't say that. Do you know that the old covenant is done away with or abrogated at the death of Christ? Yes. Okay. Death and resurrection. Is Romans 3 speaking to the church? Or is it not speaking to death the Christian and church? Resurrection, not just death. Death oh, and resurrection, not just death. Okay. Are you talking to somebody else now? Are now, you there? You had said that uh, it was through his death. But Jesus incorporated, instituted the new covenant after his resurrection. The, okay. Maybe you're unfamiliar with this, but it's upon the death of the testator that the new covenant is ratified. Hebrews 8.13, Hebrews 9.15-16. The resurrection is the proof that the sacrifice of God in flesh was um, acceptable. Okay. Yeah, but that doesn't say that the new covenant was established, that Jesus Christ established the new covenant until after his resurrection when he breathed on the apostles and told them to go out and preach to all nations, okay. baptizing them and preaching the faith. That's when the new but covenant was instituted that? by Christ. When he, he, gave a covenant, when he said a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete, but whatever has become obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. That's Hebrews 8.13. Let's go to Hebrews 9.15. For this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must be a necessity to be the death of the one who's made it. See? Right, because his death was necessary. It was necessary with right. regards to his new covenant. So on his, at the death it of Christ, that the new covenant was enacted with his death. At the death of Christ, a new covenant is then in place. That's what it says right there. Now, right, it's when Paul made was right, place, when Paul was talking in Romans three. You're saying death. Okay, when incorporated when he actually instituted the covenant. 
Otherwise, we're going to mute you again. Okay, you can't keep because no one learns anything when you keep talking over him. Okay, you got to stop that. If if your view is so weak that you can't let Matt speak, then you're just exposing that your argument's weak. So let him answer. Don't talk over him Uh, unless you want us to to have the conclusion that you really know your argument is that weak. So it's really that easy. Okay, sorry, Matt. Romans 3.28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 4.5, to the one who does not work but believes his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So, you don't believe the word of God. Okay, may I speak? Go ahead. Okay, is Galatians 5.19-21 speaking to the believers? Okay. Well, the address is to the people in Galatia, and he speaks about the unbelievers and the works of the flesh in that context. Oh, he's speaking about unbelievers. So you're saying the verse the before the and the verse follow in the passage. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Certainly these aren't believers practicing these things, right? Would you agree with me? Okay, so why would he warn unbelievers you, not to do you things? Would agree with me that those go, are not believers who are practicing immorality? No, I, I don't. I don't. I I don't agree with you because if you look at what's before Hold on him, a sec. immediately. Hold on a sec. Are you trying to tell me that the Christians there in Galatia are practicing immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and they're all Christians? Well, what I'm telling you is that he's speaking to believers because he's warning them not to do those things. Now, he wouldn't be warning non-believers because non-believers go to hell anyway. So he would have to be warning believers because uh, – and it says right there, it says uh, he's warning you as he has warned before not to do such things because they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore – Obviously, he's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers. Unbelievers will go to hell anyway, not because of their sins, but because of their unbelief. Are there any unbelievers in the Church of Galatia? Do you think there's a mixture of unbelievers and believers? Well, what I know is that he's speaking to believers because, again... Are there a mixture? Do you think there's a mixture? I didn't ask you. I asked you a question. You don't answer my questions. You answer a different question. I asked you, do you think there were believers and unbelievers in the Church of Galatia? Well, there may have been unbelievers okay. as well, but they wouldn't so have been then, in the church. The is yes. Course, God wouldn't have okay. them as being but, in You know what? Church. I'm ready to mute you. I, you know, it, this is absolutely ridiculous. You asked me a question. I was answering your question. No, you just pontificate constantly. Look, I just ask you, do you think there are believers and unbelievers both in the Church of Galatia? The answer is, Yeah. That's it. it. It's either yes or it's it's not yes. This is well, not it's, hard. You have well, to. I wanted you to understand every to single to... point all the time. Okay, but it's not always a yes or no, Matt. Because the thing is, okay, well, let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. Where do you think that there were probably believers and unbelievers both in the Church of Galatia? No. 
Okay, so they're all only believers of the Church of Galatia. Recognized by God, only believers are in the church, in his church. Those who are not in his church. So then you're saying then that, that the Church of Galatia only contained believers, real Christians. Well, God only recognizes believers in his church. Okay. See, you're, you're so <laughs> I ask you if there are any believers. No, there's not. Well, if there's no unbelievers, there have to be believers. Well, and if then somebody you change, an unbeliever. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. And then what you do is you change the meaning of the word church. We're talking about the gathering of people here in Galatia, the church congregation, the whole bit. Do you think there's unbelievers in there? You go, no. And then you talk about church as the ones who are really saved. You know, you just play with the words. Oh, look, the people who are gathering in this place in Galatia where the letter of Paul was read. Do you think there's any unbelievers mixed in the crowd? Maybe, possibly. Okay, well, let's say there are unbelievers. It still wouldn't make any sense for yes, him to be yes, speaking yes, to. Yes, yes, okay, yes. I think we should need to move on because I can't get a decent answer from the guy without having to listen to eight minutes of just pontification about something. So, We're not getting anywhere. He can't even answer a simple question: yes or no. I want to ridiculous. I want to ask him a real. I would say yes. Hold on, hold on. I've already had a question with you to, to you know ridiculous. Listen, listen. I want to ask you one question. We're going to make it really simple. It's going to be a real easy question. Yeah. For, I want to know, what is your name? My name? Yeah. James? See, you can answer a simple question and give a simple answer, can't you? Yeah, but the thing is, this is supposed to be a discussion. It's not supposed to be something where you're trying to trap somebody into well, something. No. I know it shouldn't be like you were trying to trap Matt. You weren't letting him speak. You kept talking over him. You and answering talking over me. Excuse me. You're don't talk over me unless you want everyone to realize your arguments really are that weak. Are, are your arguments so weak that you cannot allow someone else to finish a sentence? Are and they? He was talking over me many times, even after he asked me a question and I attempted to answer. Okay, Matt was asking a question and he would take a breath. And you jumped in. So, which wouldn't happen if there was the delay in, on your iPad, I don't think. That you, you knew right when he would take a breath. So, here's the thing. I mean, unless, I mean, that could maybe be a lie. Just saying, that would be a sin. I don't know if you realize that. So, the thing is, is that what we end up seeing is Matt would ask you something. Okay? You would answer different things. And that this Matt's trying to gather information to help you to answer the questions, but this is what people have to do. Now, if you would like what Matt could do is just assume what you believe, because you were doing that with Matt. He corrected you several times telling you what he actually believed. And you kept going on with what you want to claim he believed. All right. That happened several times in the discussion. Along with what Catholicism believes. No, uh, I was saying Catholicism. Okay, can we get back? Asking you what you believe, and you wouldn't answer, and that's the thing. Is so, he a I troll? Maybe he's a troll. I, I don't know. Answered numerous times. So, all right. So here's here's the thing. So I'm, I'm going to mute him, Matt. But he, a couple of things. Let, let's discuss. We um, move on. Yeah, let's, we we'll move on because. But I, there were some cool things you did with the discussion with him. Um. And, and this will be helpful for folks to, to see. Um, 
one of the things that happened early on, you he tried to argue that you believe in his view of baptism because there was agreement in one area, and then he he tried to argue that you believe that baptism saves. So explain to folks. I mean, you you were quick to cut that off. He did it a couple times. What's what is the importance of like why do people do something like that? Why do they try to make it seem like you're agreeing and then change it to say you, you believe something you don't? Because they have to be a little bit um, disingenuous to try and win. That's all. That's all. And that would go as well for this. Why he he would speak over you? Yeah, it's a it's a tactic he was trying to use. And um, another tactic is to not really answer questions that are, are worth just a yes or no answer. It's either the case that we're saved by water baptism, or it's not the case. The simple logic is that a statement's either true or false. It's called the law of excluded middle. When someone repeatedly has to pontificate and explain at infinitum every single detail of every single thing, you know, it gets old after a while. Um, and so all he's doing, it's, it's as though he's a troll and in that you can't get a straight answer out of the guy. And so after a while, you just got to move on. I don't mind having discussions with people who disagree, but as is as obviously the case, he would I had to ask a question and do you believe this or you don't believe it? And he'd go on and on and on. You ask another question, he goes on and on and on. Another question, on and on and on. It just gets to the point where uh, it's ridiculous. So I tried to get to the point where discussing whether he sins or not, how long. He wouldn't even tell me us how long. I got to work with him on that. And then showing that his arrogance and foolishness are just profoundly blinding him because he actually believes he can keep the law of God on the same level as Jesus. And then when he says I didn't, he didn't say that, of course he did. He didn't use those words. But that's what he's saying, because that's what it means not to sin. It's on the level of God, not the level of man, because he admitted Jesus is a standard. Well, then he's saying that he's doing the things on the level of Jesus himself, keeping the law. And, of course, that is foolishness. And so, you know, it's just it's, we have the the evidence here that someone like this is an unregenerate person. And the reason I would say that is because of Galatians 5. And it says there in Galatians 5, which is really important, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that you've received circumcision. Circumcision is a ceremony, as is baptism. If you receive circumcision, that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. Now, circumcision is the Old Testament covenant sign. We know that for sure. But what he's doing here is talking about the necessity of not keeping the law of the Old Testament in any way, shape, or form in order to be saved. He says, you've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law. And notice what he says. By doing the one thing, he says, you're trying to be justified by law. Now, believe it or not, the issue of the baptism that Jesus underwent in Matthew chapter 3, when he was baptized, most probably is a reflection out of Numbers chapter 8, verse 7. When Jesus entered into the priesthood, he had to be uh, sprinkled with water. That is the baptism that is spoken of. So such sprinkling is also mentioned, and you can get the baptismos out of Hebrews 9.10 and some other issues and some other areas in that context. So what he's actually doing is saying that baptism, the what either sprinkling, which I don't have a problem with because of my covenantalism, or immersion, either way, the baptism of water is a necessity for salvation, and that you can't be a true Christian unless you're dunked in water. There's other questions I like to ask him. Which we problem because you see the real fact is that um, if a man and I've seen this I used to work at a hospital if a man for example is on his um, deathbed and he's got tubes and basically every orifice and you can tell he's he's dying um, I used to work at a hospital and I've seen things and so uh, if a minister comes in and gives him the gospel the death 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I asked, incidentally, I asked the chaplain of the hospital I used to work at who went to our church. I asked him specifically, does this happen? He said, yes, very quickly. Yes, it does. Where someone on their deathbed, the last minute, two minutes of their life, he will give them the gospel. Do you receive Christ? They can't even speak. They got stuff down their throats and they just nod. You receive Christ. You trust in Christ for your salvation. Yes, 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 yes. And they do this and then they're gone. Now, this man, this guy, anonymous guy, would have to say that such a person is going to hell because he wasn't, didn't have water applied to him, which would mean that we're not justified by faith. As Romans 4, 5 tells us, one who does not work but believes his faith is reckoned as righteousness. And what this guy has to do is say it's the old covenant that he's talking about. No, because it's in the present tense. The man who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but what is due, Romans 4, 4. He's talking about the present tense, what's going on, and to the one who does not work, present tense. And so Paul is quickly talking and clearly talking about that which is the present tense. In order for this guy to try and get out of this issue, in order to maintain his works righteousness and self-righteousness in the process, he has to say that his old covenant doesn't apply today. But it's in the context of present tense, and yes, it is in what's going on. It's about the people justified before God. Yes, Abraham was justified by faith, and he says, and we are justified by faith. What Paul is doing in Galatians 4, 1 through 5 is taking the past tense of Abraham and equating it to the present tense of the Christian today, showing that the justification in both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are identical by faith. And that's what it is. It's not faith in a ceremony. And so the foolishness and the apostasy of the cults and Roman Catholicism, that teaches you must keep uh, a ceremony, which is a representation of one aspect of the law, in order to be saved along with their faith, then preach a false gospel and they're lost. This guy can't see that, refuses to see it, and he's not capable of seeing it because First Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man cannot see the things of God for their foolishness to him. He, these are spiritually discerned. And this is the condition that he's in. He's under sin. He's not uh, died with Christ, Romans 6.6, 6, Romans 6.8. 6, he's still under the slavery of sin, Romans 6.14 through 20, because he's not trusted in Christ alone, but Christ and a ceremony by which he's then justified. And if we were had time, and I, I would have a conversation with him, but it's not worth the effort to continue. I would talk about the necessity of the sacraments, the infusion of grace, the maintenance of his salvation by the infused grace through the sacraments that he has to have in order to keep himself right with God. That's what Catholicism teaches. And so what we have here is a false doctrine, an antichrist doctrine, and someone who is a servant of the evil one because he's espousing a false gospel. And, you know, one of the things that would be helpful for folks, Matt, I mean, he, he used a lot of logical fallacies. And, yes, he did. You know, we should point out some of them. Uh, I, there's one I picked up on that I do want you to address, and you could discuss the other fallacies that you picked up on. But he kept doing a fallacy of equivocation with you where he wanted yes, things he did. one way. And you caught him a couple times where he'd use it one way and then change it. And yep. have, you know, so first off with that one. Uh, the, explain that fallacy, explain how he did it, and then uh, go into any of the other fallacies that you saw him use. Well, I can't remember the exact example, but I, I called him out on it when he did it. I said, you just changed the meaning of the word or whatever it was, but that's what equivocation is. Um, uh, when a word changes meaning in its usage, and you haven't clarified the, de the change of definition. So uh, uh, a, a bird, I see, I saw a bird fly into that bush, um, that's why President Bush is a bird brain. What? The word Bush then changes meaning from a plant to a person. Uh, 
And uh, that's that's uh, an illustration of what the fallacy of equivocation is. And he did that. I forgot what the context was. Church. He did it church, on the word thank church. you very much, the word church. He did that in the word church. He, he, I pointed out what he did there. And, um, of course, he's made uh, improper inferences as well, uh, misrepresented what I said, uh, failed to understand my position, um, doesn't even understand the basics of yes and no statements. Uh, you know, Not everything is yes and no, and I understand that. But a statement is either true or it's not the case that it's true. And so we are either, for example, baptism is either a ceremony or it's not the case that it's a ceremony. It can't be both a ceremony and not a ceremony in the same sense in the same way. If it's a ceremony, which it is, because I read the definitions, it's something that occurs. And uh, I've talked about this before in another article on CARM. A ceremony is where one person does something, usually in this context, to another person. Circumcision is a ceremony. We do something like that. Baptism is a ceremony. You perform an action upon somebody else. That's what a ceremony is. So he's teaching justification by uh, faith and a ceremony. And so... He's failing to understand the issue of justification by faith alone, because if it's faith alone, no ceremony is necessary. But then what they'll do in order to maintain their heresy is to say that a ceremony is something commanded by God. Therefore, it's not a ceremony. So when God commands it, it's no longer ceremony. So he says, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. So those aren't ceremonies, but those are things you're obligated to keep the law in order to be saved. Right, right. And you're still under the law. Now, here's the thing. When you're under the law, it's because you haven't died with Christ. Now, we've died with Christ, those who are represented by him on the cross. We've died with Christ, Romans uh, 6, 8. We're crucified with him, Romans 6, 6. And Romans 3, 1 through 5, talks about those who died with Christ. Now, the one who has died with Christ is free from the law, Romans 7, 4. If we're free from the law, we're no longer obligated to keep that law. But what he's saying is that the New Testament law is circumcision. Excuse me baptism. You've got to be baptized in order to be saved. And then we get to the issue, back in like we could ask him sometime, maybe another week, maybe say, hey, the man who's on his deathbed, who confesses Christ by faith, trusts in Jesus, and dies before he can even be sprinkled with water. The man's walking to the sink to get water. He comes back, the guy's dead. Does he go to hell or does he go to heaven? He would have to say he goes to hell. If he says, no, he had a baptism of, what's it called? Baptism of desire. Well, then you're saying he didn't get baptized. Water baptism is either necessary for salvation or it's not necessary for salvation. If they say it's a baptism of desire, if he wanted it, then baptism by water is not necessary. Otherwise, he'd be lost or saved. I mean, you can't have both. And what they do is they equivocate. They hopscotch. They jump in and out, and they change meanings. They change arguments. They change the flow of the logic. And it's difficult to deal with them, particularly this guy, when he tries to misrepresent so much of theology. And he said that, it, for example, I'm remembering on the issue of the New Covenant, he said it was the death and the resurrection. But that's not what the verses said. It clearly showed that it was the death. That's the issue. The resurrection is the proof that the, re that the sacrifice is the death of Christ. And, uh, you know, he was corrected there. and He ignored the correction and continued to go on. So when we get into people like that after a half hour or longer. I just run out of steam just going in circles with someone who you can't have a decent conversation with and has to argue every single point all the time. So we can move along. Yeah. And, and one of the things that he was doing was uh, he kept wanting to use certain ways, words, exact words with you. Right. And I don't think he picked up what you were saying. And it would be good for people to realize you kept bringing up the Trinity. He wanted a specific yeah. wording 
right. in the scriptures, and you you ended up going to another thing. So explain to folks why you brought up the Trinity there, so that they can learn what you were sure. doing. What the Catholics do is make a huge mistake. They have a double standard in things. They'll say, uh, "Show me the words faith alone in Scripture." That's what you're teaching. It has, to be, it has to be these words, otherwise I won't believe it. Well, then that principle can be applied to other things. Show me in the Bible where it says the Trinity is one God and three distinct simultaneous persons. It has to be those words, or I won't believe it. And they would, of course, say, "Well, that doesn't make any sense to say that. Why? Because you don't do it that way." When I showed him in Romans 4, 5, to the one who does not work but believes, his faith is reckoned as righteousness, that is faith alone. And he even admitted that when we have two things, works and faith, those are the only two things that were in the text, he admitted that. And then you take away one, the other one's left by itself. He said, yes, that's faith alone. So he admitted it and then denied his admission. I was just trying to show in at least two different ways his inconsistency. He doesn't... Um, uh, really apply fairness. Uh, you know, they want to say faith alone, and then he goes to James two. And if he wants to go to James two, I could easily answer that. But uh, he wants to go to James two. See, not by faith alone, and he rips it out of context, not understanding really what's going on there, and say it has to be in those words. Does it have to be in those words for you to believe everything? Of course not. But he, it does when it comes to this one issue. And so they're selective in what they require that precision with, but they're inconsistent because they believe other things with no such precision is necessary, but it's vitally important. For example, the hypostatic union in two, two natures of Christ. Never does it say Jesus has two natures. You don't find any verse that says Jesus is God. You don't find anything like that, but they believe these things. Where are the exact words? They're not there. And so what they'll say is, well, that's okay. You don't need the exact words there, but I need them right here with these two words, faith alone. Why the inconsistency? Because they have an agenda. The agenda dominates the conversation, not the scriptures. And that's the problem with them. And, you know, that's a thing we see with Muslims as well. The Muslims will do the, the very same thing. They'll, they'll say, where does it say, where does Jesus say specifically these exact words? I yeah. am God, worship me. Right. There, there's nowhere it says those exact words, but Jesus does call himself God. One, one last thing on, the, on that discussion um, that I thought was brilliant that you did. He took you to Galatians and you, you said, well, this can't be speaking of Christians because do Christians do this list of sins? Um, I think that, I think I could be mistaken, but it, we can't see cause his video, he didn't turn on, but I, I think that, you know, his hair was just cut really short when that went right over his head. <laughs> so <laughs> what we, cause you were doing something that was brilliant. And I don't know that Everyone might have picked up on that. Why were you arguing the way you argued at that Galatians passage saying that can't be speaking of Christians? Well, he, he, you know, he wants to say that it's the Christians that are being spoken of because the Christians have to maintain their salvation by their goodness. That's what he's ultimately getting at, because that's what Roman Catholicism teaches, a blasphemous lie from Satan. And so what he'll do is he'll go to Galatians 5, 19 through 21 and say these are the, the deeds of the flesh. And OK, so I'm asking, is that what the Christians are doing? sorcery and immorality and fornication, is that what they're doing? He said, he has to say yes. Well, wait a minute. Could it be then that um, there are unbelievers in the church of Galatia? No. He said no at first. So wait a minute. And that's when he was equivocating on the word church. Um, I said, give me a break. You know, it's just ridiculous. He's addressing the Christians about unbelievers in that particular thing. Christians don't abide in that stuff. They don't do that kind of thing. They may slip up and fall, but it's not an issue of abiding. It's not an issue of, of that kind of stuff. So he's just um, stretching. Uh, and he's obviously not trusted in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. And that's what I was ultimately trying to get him to. But uh, he doesn't want Jesus alone. He wants Jesus and. 
And that's the problem. Because yeah. on the day of judgment, it won't be Jesus alone that he's hiding behind. It'll be Jesus and his works, Jesus and his ability to keep the law, Jesus and his water baptism. And um, since it means then that he's not trusting in Christ alone, by faith alone, that he's trusting in his own ability, and that will damn him. Okay, so, you know, since he's still here muted. Let's just move on, because we're not going to get anywhere. I want want you to share the gospel so that folks who, who here would know what the gospel message is. The gospel is simply that we cannot keep the law in any way, shape, or form by any obligation or any way, period. Nobody's good enough in heart or intention or in hand, the heart in the hand. The heart is everything that you are inside internally. The heart is desperately wicked, deceitful. No man can trust it, Jeremiah 17, 9. And God says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And this is the obligation that we're happy to have. The reason that God gives us that obligation is not because we are the standard, but because God is the standard. The obligation is perfection. First Peter 1, 16 be holy for I am holy. That's the standard. God himself, the standard is absolute perfection. Deuteronomy 27, 26, quoted by Paul in Galatians 3, 10, talks about this. No one can keep the law perfectly. Nobody can do it perfectly. And what he says, he doesn't say, I don't keep it perfectly all the time. Well, then he admits he's a sinner, but he still is saying that he's maintaining his position before God by his ability to keep the law. And that in his incredible arrogance, he doesn't say he sinned. And when I said for a whole year, he didn't object to that. He didn't object to that. If someone said to me, Matt, could you not sin for five minutes? I'd go, uh, don't, don't even, don't even say five minutes, five seconds. Maybe I don't even know if I could do for five seconds. Because the Bible says you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Am I doing that every single second? Because some people will say, well, if you don't, you're not doing it on purpose, you can do it by by not doing anything. No. all the time. Only Christ was able to do that. And we are not able to do this. This is why the gospel, the Uengelia, is necessary. Because it's the good news is that Jesus kept the law perfectly. Jesus is the one who did everything, and we can trust in what Jesus did, having therefore been justified by faith. Romans 5.1 says, and Galatians 2.16, Galatians 2.21, that we just trust in Christ and not in any works of the law, and that's in Galatians. And it's just, you know, folks, you can't get to heaven by your faith and anything you do, any ceremony, any sincerity, any sacrament, any church, any Bible reading, any goodness, any repentance, none of it is perfect. The standard is perfection, and your sincerity is sin-stained, and it's not acceptable enough to God. Because if sincerity and your efforts were good enough to get to God, then righteousness would not come through the law, Galatians 2.21. Christ would have died needlessly. But his death was a cleansing of our sins, Leviticus 17, 11. A necessity for us so that we could be justified by faith apart from the works of the law. But this man doesn't want to believe that. He wants to say that's all old covenant so that he can say there's a new covenant law he's got to keep. And the logical thing we have to ask at this point is, is he doing it? And if he says no, well, then the standard is all perfection. Galatians 3.10 says so, then he's still damned by his own system. Folks, you got to understand something. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not by faith and. Nobody's good enough. Nobody's able enough. 
thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Catholics are leaving and becoming true Christians, realizing that the apostasy, the darkness, the superstition, the mariolatry, the level of self-righteous works righteousness and going to the church in order to have a priest give you through his authority, through the sacraments, grace that's infused in you to keep you right with God. The church holds the certificate of your salvation in its hands and meets out to the Catholic upon the sacramental participation, that grace necessary for the maintenance of their position with God. And this is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. The Roman Catholic Church will pay dearly for the millions upon millions it has sent to hell with this Antichrist doctrine because it is not trusted in Christ alone. An example of this is, I'll ask Roman Catholics, I'll say, is Jesus God? Yes. Can you pray to him? Yes. If you pray and you ask Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins, will all of your sins be forgiven? They don't want to answer half the time because they know where I'm going. Well, then can you do that? And if you do, and all your sins are forgiven. Do you need Mary? Do you need your priesthood? Do you need your sacraments? Or is Jesus enough? And this is where they fall apart. Because they don't believe Jesus is enough. They believe in their sacraments and their priesthood and their church authority. The church, which holds their salvation in its hand. They believe not just in Christ. They believe in Christ and Jesus and something by faith and. <clears throat> in this case, they're under that antichrist religion, the Roman Catholic Church, that teaches a false gospel. And all who die believing official Roman Catholic theology will be lost. We need to preach the true gospel that you're justified before God, made right by faith and trust in what Christ did, who kept the law perfectly, 1 Peter 2.22, who bore our sins in his body on the cross, 1 Peter 2.24. And we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law, Romans 3.28, Romans 4.5. Romans 5.1, Galatians 2.16, Galatians 2.21. That is, all we have is Jesus. Not Jesus in a ceremony, baptism. Not Jesus in a ceremony, the mass. Not Jesus in a ceremony, the rosary. Not Jesus in anything. Because everything that we do is touched by sin. And for anyone who would think that somehow we're capable in the sin-stained sincerity of our own hearts, to please the infinitely holy God is simply deceived. The closer you get to the bright light, the more you see the flaws within yourself. The closer you become to Christ, the more you recognize your own sin. And those who are close to him in the record recordings of the Bible, when they're in the presence of God, they say, be gone from me, for I am unholy, a man of unclean lips. In the presence of the true living God, no one boasts that they're able to not sin for a period of time. If anything, they confess they're just not worthy. This man undoubtedly, in the presence of Jesus, would say, I'm worthy because I can not sin for a long period of time. <laughs> and that kind of stuff is foolishness, self-deception. He needs to repent. He needs to come to Christ. Yeah, and it was good the way you said people who believe in Roman Catholic doctrine, because you're not saying all Roman Catholics are not saved because right. there could be some who legitimately believe the gospel and just don't know to come out of the church. But right. and I, I'm specifying that for the people who are going to try to make a false accusation because 
you're saying those who believe in Roman official. Catholic I always say, if you believe official Roman Catholic theology, you can't be a true Christian. That's not to say there aren't Catholics who are true Christians, but they are true Christians in spite of Roman Catholic theology. It can happen. All right? So here's a question that came in in the Apologetics Live uh, Facebook group, which is a Facebook group okay. that you and I have for this show. Uh, mm-hmm. Daniel asked this. Uh, first off, he said he's very excited about the show. He said, would you all please address hyper-Calvinism? What does, uh, what's the difference between the two? So what's the difference between Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism? The word hyper? <laughs> I guess you want me to be more specific. Hyper-Calvinism is considered a heresy within the Calvinist camp. Um, hyper-Calvinists affirm the five points, as I do. But uh, hyper-Calvinists will basically say, you don't even need to evangelize. It doesn't really matter what you do and say, because it's all predestined anyway, so sit down and do nothing. Basically, that's what it is, and that's a heresy. It's rejected by uh, biblical Calvinists. And uh, so stay away from the hyper-Calvinism. Unfortunately, what happens is that sometimes people will misrepresent Calvinism by saying hyper-Calvinists are true Calvinists in that sense. No, that's not the case. Now, I like to say to the hyper-Calvinists, was Paul a Calvinist? And they know what I mean, you know, that he, you know, he wasn't a Calvinist, but, you know, he affirmed the five points, obviously, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, was Paul very evangelical? Yes. Well, why aren't you then? And then that's when the conversation falls apart because they don't realize. And you're a Calvinist. I mean, you're, you're a five-pointer. I'm a five-pointer. You and I have gone out in New York preaching the gospel, you know, begging people to believe. And uh, we do that because... We know that God uses foolish people like you and me to preach that gospel message. And he brings people through um, through that, the preaching of the word into a place of salvation using flawed vessels. That's for sure. Yeah, especially with you. <clears throat> oh, oh, sorry. Uh- you got that right. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that one, especially with me. That's for sure. So another one, I'm trying to look at some of the questions. And actually, you know, it's actually before I get to that, instead of going to question or son, I do want to, I, ha- I, have, I have something right here called The Influence, written by some guy oh. named Matthew J. Uh, John Slick. Huh. But yeah. that book's been out for a while. Uh, there's some new books that hit the market on Amazon, aren't there? Yep. Let's talk about them. There's new uh, books out. Check it out. So we got you got two new books that deal with the topic of atheism, right? So yep. first is an uh, well, it's a short novel, right? I, I forgot what they're called, what, what you call them, but novella, novella, the novella uh, called Atheistica. So tell, what's Atheistica about? It's about an island that forms in the Pacific, and a very rich atheist buys it and creates a an atheist community, and uh, things don't work out exactly as they'd hoped. Let's just say. You mean like the way atheism always doesn't work out the way they hoped? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it can't work out logically. But you see, the thing is, when I told an atheist about a year ago, I was working on this, and here and there, I just decided to finish it the past few months. But um, he said, oh, you're going to make the atheist look stupid. And I did not. Uh, the main character, the contrarian, uh is a good man on a human level. You know, he's a good man. He loves his wife. He's he's uh, humble. He, he makes mistakes like anybody else. I don't bring those up as a big thing. He's protective of his wife and uh, 
concern for her safety. You know, I don't present him as an as an idiot at all. And uh, the main atheist, uh, Brian Slarone, that's the one who buys the island and all this stuff and does all the. He's not an idiot either. And um, there's an atheist woman who is uh, named Sean who's kind of an MC uh, kind of uh, director at, a, at an organization and through a series of discussions that are televised on the island in order to solve problems. And she's very intelligent, very capable. And, um, you know, and then I do mention that there are bad people on the island. Some bad stuff happens. What does that mean? Because there are atheists, bad stuff happens? Hey, there's bad stuff everywhere. And so I try to present, uh, you know, them as, as normal people. And I think I did a good job at it. And I just tried to show that that philosophically there's some issues that are raised. And I accelerated that problem because it's a novella, you know, that could go on for 1,800 pages. <clears throat> That's all. <laughs> and then you have uh, Atheism and, or, or is it, I'm trying to remember the, the title now. Atheism and, Apologetics and Atheism, actually. That's Okay. And uh, it's a series I'll be doing apologetics and Roman Catholicism, apologetics and Mormonism, apologetics and Jehovah's Witnesses, apologetics and Islam, apologetics and Christian theology. So it's a series, apologetics and, and I did, um, I had that sitting there um, and I went, oh, that's right, I forgot about that. And I had it like 80% done, so I decided to finish it. So after I released uh, Atheistica, uh, I, I uh, unearthed this one and did that one. So now I'm literally working on apologetics and Christian theology, but I'm trying to finish up my uh, section on annihilationism, which when I'm done will be over 130 articles that I'll be releasing in the next week. That means you wrote nine more articles since this morning, <laughs> because I think this morning you told me it was 121. <laughs> I said ready. Oh, okay. Ready. I've got over 170. Oh, and, really? Yeah, but I'm not going to release all of them because some of them are repetitious. And uh, don't need to be, you know, there are variations, word studies that aren't, aren't ready, but I just need to go through them once. Go, okay, 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 now it's ready. So I have a little system on my little, what I do. I have the word ready, but ready with a comma means it's been finally checked. And ready without a comma means it's not finally checked. It's ready, but it's not, it's just mostly ready. And so uh, I, that's what I have. And so when I say ready, I mean with a comma. And uh, we now have 121, and it'll be more. I could write another 50 articles because it's really quite a topic. And uh, I've done, oh, man, have I done some studies. Oh, sheesh. I've discovered stuff. Annihilationism is just not true. <laughs> it's, it's not true. Well, and they're, and they're trying to come out when, you know, recent uh, on my recent podcast, I interviewed uh, George Alvarado, who you know, right? Yeah. And so he did the debate with with someone who uh, Chris Date, who is a you know they don't say they believe it's not annihilationism. They play with the words, right? They equivocate on the the words, and so it's it's the uh, you know um, contain. No, what is it? They, they I'm trying to remember how they call themselves conditionalists. So, um, but that, that's something that you're going to release those articles, and it'll be fun to see how. It, how they're going to respond. I know you've sent a couple my way and, and I think that, uh, I, I think that should for honest people silence the issue. It, it'll, it will some, but, uh, I'm just, honest. Again, I want to make this clear because anonymous said that the real reason that he was muted because I couldn't answer him. 
that's not it. I just wrote in the reason is not that. The real reason is that I said you were rude, unfocused, blabbed constantly, et cetera. It just got old. That is the reason. So don't misrepresent. Yeah, Make it and, official. That's the reason. And I muted him. And a reason I gave him was because he was rude and refusing to answer simple questions. Yeah, with um, simple answers. He look, just goes on and on and on and on and on. Okay, so yeah, the conditionalism stuff. Um, and I can start talking about some of the arguments here if you want, but. Um, there's a problem of continuity, and there's a heresy that um, Chris Date is is uh, teaching. And uh, when he was here in my office, and he said what he said, I my jaw just dropped. Like what? And I decided then not to tackle the issue. I wanted to find out stuff because he and I were supposed to have a debate. Chris Date's an avid uh, defender of of uh, annihilationism, conditionalism. And um, so we came to an agreement on a, on a debate topic almost. We couldn't quite get to it. And I have found, and this is nothing against Chris. I, I like Chris. But I've found, this is my opinion, lovingly, if someone tells him this, I find him difficult to work with in that I get the impression, I don't think he's doing this on purpose, but I get the impression that the definitions he uses, he's not even sure of half the time because the way he uses them, and I go with it, it says, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm like, wait a minute, you said that. Well, about this. No, that's not what I'm saying. After a while, I just gave up because I couldn't understand exactly what he was saying. At one point, I had something like 31 questions for him to try and understand on something, and he wouldn't even answer those. And I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. And so what we're going to try and debate was, does the, the atonement of Christ necessitate 